Hello fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to You Can Shine podcast where I explore real stories of real people just like you and I who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Peter Gooley. Let me tell you a little about our guest. I met Peter back in 2009 when he undertook formal coach training and I happened to be the lead trainer. Along with his pet possum, Peter has also been a regular at my online mindfulness sessions. Peter was born in Lismore in 1956 and he's often referred to as a possibilitarian. He's a certified Alzheimer's and dementia coach and previously held roles in various industries, including banking and IT. And he is a former rescue officer for the Blue Mountains SES. Peter has faced his fair share of adversity, and he is here today to share his story with us. Peter is a longtime partner to Tony and father to Renee and James, and granddad to Jeremy, Connor, Liam, and another little one on the way. A fun fact about Peter Gooley is he was named the Northern Rivers Star Baby of the Year in 1957. Well, with all of that, welcome Peter Gooley. Oh, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Pete. So, Peter, I've done a bit of a rundown of some of the career highlights of your life. Tell us the real story underneath who Peter Gooley is. What are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? Okay. Um... Apart from being the only one in the family to actually win that Baby of the Year contest, and that's right across my entire large family, uh, that was formative. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, the thing that um, probably the biggest impact in my life was my dad passing away when I was 11, about to turn 12. It was about a month before my 12th birthday. That had a massive impact on me. Um it, 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 uh, I can't even, yeah. How how did that impact you, Peter? It was interesting. I was talking to my sister recently in the last couple of years, probably since my mum passed away in 2015. And it was interesting that we both thought that dad had actually run off with another woman and he was actually up there somewhere. Um, we had to know where he was and he hadn't died. Um, mind you, we were at his funeral. Um I tried to climb into the grave with him. I had to be held back. So it was a pretty devastating time. Uh, so that, that was the sort of impact that was happening for me then. Uh, we didn't have um, counsellors in those days. We didn't have people who could really support you and understand where your head was. Life was very much around, um, you'll get over it. Um, and I've come to learn that grief is not something you actually get over. Uh, there were times there, we were in Lismore, we moved down to Sydney when I was 14, hated it, just wanted to be back in, in Lismore, ran away from about 15, I ran away from home about three times, not about, it was three times, uh, ended up in the third time when I went by myself in Queensland and picked up for vagrancy during the Joe Bielke Peterson period, which 
created its own interesting event in my life um, and almost cost me my life. I uh, then came back to Sydney through that time and um, proceeded to try and damage myself through drugs and things like that. So, Peter, were you living on the streets at this time? Like, what, where, you know, how did you support yourself? Or, you know, what was this time really like for you? I was living at home. Um, up in, when I was up in Queensland, I was living on the streets, which is why I was picked up for vagrancy. And, uh, you know, I came back home to mum, uh, and that's been the constant for me, is, was always my mother's love and acceptance. That was, that's, uh, that's probably my greatest strength in life has been that support that she was and forgiveness that she was. Um, although it's, it's interesting because that sort of um, generation didn't really talk about that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, today I talk about that sort of stuff because it's who I am. It's, it's part of my makeup. It's not something I'm embarrassed or sad or or any of those things about, it's part of who I am. I went through those experiences in life, much like later on when uh, in you know 1993 when I was diagnosed with cancer. Those are all part of it. So, so just before that then, Pete, when you returned to Sydney, went home to mum as a kid that, you know, had been a bit cheeky interstate, like, what was the turnaround for you? Clearly, you know, mum was this tower of support and forgiveness. But, but what allowed you to do the turnaround? I think for a few years after I got back and after I left school, um, I started working in the banking industry. I uh, was still getting involved with drugs at that point. Uh, got to the point where it had cost me a job. And the friends, the so-called friends that I had were um, when I decided I was going to stop doing that sort of stuff, they decided that they would try and spike my food. That's when I realised that, hang on, where's the respect for my decision? <laughs> um, and that was the end of it for me. That, that's when I sort of went, these aren't friends, these are only friends while I'm willing to be not conscious, not able to cope, and I'm using other crutches to be able to cope. They weren't real friends because when I stopped, they stopped calling mm. and they didn't want to know about me. They didn't want me to call in. Mm. Um, so that, that was the point for me. So that would have been a really important lesson to learn at that age. How old were you at this point? I was 21. Okay, so then fast forward and in the 90s, was it? Yeah, 93. Yep. Um, I was 37. And um, what happened is for a few years prior to that, I would, um, we wore jeans that were a little more tight than what they are today. Uh -huh. <laughs> And I would crunch a testicle from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I would just sit, doesn't matter if we were out, dinner it could happen, and I would sit and just be quiet for a bit. And uh, my wife would, uh, originally, she 
would ask rigidly, then if we were out to dinner, people would go, what's wrong with Peter? I'll just leave him alone. He's just, that's just happened. I would talk to my doctor about it. Oh, that's okay. It's just that tube that comes out of the testicle. It's not a problem. Don't worry about it. You're just overreacting. In the 90s, there was a show that was on Channel 9 for a little bit. And like every man, I have the right to have the, the TV remote controls <laughs> and, and be a channel flicker because I'm a channel flicker. We all are. Uh, is an add-on? Oh, what's on the other channel? What's on the other channel? What's on the other channel? And that's what that's in our genes, I think, for men. It's it's part of the chromosome makeup. Anyway, I uh, flicked past that. There was a show there called Sex, and it was about education. It was about telling people about how to check for breast cancer, for testicular cancer, for other things to be aware of and careful of, as well as other bits that it was going on about. I happened to flick on. There was a bloke talking about his brother who'd just been through testicular cancer and mentioned that there was an ultrasound that was available. I thought, oh, I want that. I want to get checked. So I went back to my GP, who I had since the 1980s, early 1980s, said, mate, send me off for this. And he said, oh, look, there's no point. It's just this. I said, just make me happy. Right. So he sent me for the ultrasound, and while they're having the ultrasound done, um, when they started to turn the screen away, it's when I realised, aha, there's a problem. <laughs> and I want to know what that is. I said, turn the screen back, tell me what's going on. And, um, yeah, so that's when I found out that there was potentially a problem there. And I made the guy actually tell me what it was, potentially, because I want to know. I'm one of those people who, once I know what it is, I can deal with it. Don't leave me with fairy ideas. And I think too, Peter, sometimes it's that uncertainty and the waiting that can be torturous. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so you found out at this stage that there was an issue. Mm. And so what was going on in your mind? What, you know, How were you coping at this point? Um, interesting question. It was a case for me of, Hmm, okay, well, I was right all along. I knew there was something wrong there. And, okay, I know I've got to deal with this. And so I rang my GP when I got home, told him, and he was a bit quiet. He's still a mate today. He's still my doctor today after 40 years. Um, so told him, and then I thought, well, I'm going to have to ring my wife. So I rang her at work. And... That's when the emotions hit me mm. because we had a couple of kids. One, Renee was born in 1981. James was born in 1984. So, you know, Renee was 12. James was, what, nine? Um, so it was, it was an interesting time to deal with the emotions of that. So tell me about those emotions. What were they fear? Were they, you know, what, what was it that was going on for you at this point? Yep, tremendous amount of uncertainty mm. um, and and lack of guidance. Um, huge that there was no one to um, no support groups as such. Mm. Nothing out there available to go and talk to. And like the way it was then, our generation, 
was feeding from the older generation and we didn't talk about it. Mm. We didn't talk, we just got on with it. So and, tell me uh, what happened then. So you realise there's no support. You realise that there's a problem here. So what did you decide to do and how did you manage that? I think what really happened for me then was, okay, this is not going to define me, but I became and I kept spreading the news to my children and reinforcing to them that, come out here, look at that sunset going over those mountains. That sunset will never happen again and has never happened before. It is unique. It is special. It is amazing. Just as all of, all of us are. And I started to focus on that reality that we're all beautiful individuals and all, all of us, when we look at that sunset or that sunrise, are as unique as a snowflake. So, Peter, I mean, this is beautiful. It's, a, it's almost like a heightened appreciation of mindfulness and gratitude. Was that always there before? Or do you think that this, you know, diagnosis and event kind of heightened your consciousness about it? I've always had a um, rose-coloured glasses view of life, um, so I guess I will, I'd say I've always been fairly positive and grateful, but at the same time, like most most uh, people, I was living an unconscious life too. I wasn't living an awareness of life. I was just living. I was just getting on with stuff day to day and, and having discussions and uh, happinesses and sadnesses and just getting on with life. We're just cruising. And I was very good at cruising. I still am. <laughs> but these days I cruise a little bit more mindfully. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully now it's also possum poo free. So, we'll get uh, <laughs> so, you know, you're describing now the fact that you're kind of cruising through life more mindfully. You clearly got through the surgery um, yep. You've been in remission now for how long? Well, not in '93, so that's um, mm, nearly twenty years. Yeah, yeah, coming up to twenty years, which is which is wonderful and mm. so a blessing. Tell, so tell me, do you ever worry about it? Like, what's post life? You know, life post testicular cancer. Like, did you actually have to go through treatments? You know, what, how did that change your mindset and your view on life and how you embrace life more mindfully and consciously? Yeah, good question. The, the thing that happens is you have an operation where they remove the offending hmm. bit. Um, thankfully, it's an operation where they can do it like a, a, an appendix operation where they go in, find a tube without having to have it hit oxygen until it's out of the body, which is just, that's that's my yeah. biggie. Um, and so that was lucky. And I had to have some radiotherapy, uh, which made me a little bit sick. Wasn't supposed to, but it did. So obviously I just, that's part of being a snowflake, which I've been called more than once in, life, in my life. <laughs> um, but I take it now as a, as, as a gift and a, and a, um, a joy. Um, but after that, there was those times where you're waiting for your next appointment. But just to roll back a little bit, after the operation, 
there was a delay. They made me wait three weeks to go back to see as a surgeon to be able to get the results. And that's a harrowing time, absolutely harrowing time. I, I was able to do a little bit of meditation during that period. Um, I had always been aware of meditation in my life and, and the help that that was. Um, because, uh, you know, in the ages I grew up, I was a bit of a hippie at stages at some point there. So I was aware of that. So that helped me back then. Um, but that's, that weight, that weight was horrible. Mm -hmm. And you re-experience it each time your anniversary comes up for a, for scans to be checked to make sure it hasn't come back somewhere else. Um, and that, that's, that's always a scary time. And I got on with life in between, especially when it moved out to yearly. And I didn't realize, it's a really interesting thing that I didn't realize until I hit the five year mark, which was the last scan, how much tension about that I'd been holding within. Mm. What did you become aware of to notice that? It was this moment of going, oh, that's five years, that's the last scan. And I felt it on my shoulders and in my neck. Mm. I felt this, this strange release and I, and I had to stop and think about what the heck was that? How wonderful. Oh, it was just extraordinary, to, mm. uh, an amazing feeling. You know, I, I feel blessed around that. Some of the blokes that I worked with didn't feel so blessed, though, Not because not long after I came back to work when I was working, my original diagnosis and operation, I would ask them, when's the last time you checked the boys? And um, I would happily, joyfully watch them squirm in their seats and that that was fine for me because we, no we don't talk about it mm. i don't even know if they talk about it today at school with the boys i know they'll mm. talk about it to girls about checking themselves for breast cancer what, do we talk about boys about their naughty bits mm. probably not i don't mm. know so peter you know you've been through a fair bit here and having gone through something scary like testicular cancer you know, what have you learnt? What are the pearls of wisdom that you can draw from this whole experience? I've discovered a new word called possibilitarian and it's um, a Norman Vincent Peale saying. And it's, it's, it basically says, become a possibilitarian. Um, possibility is always there. It doesn't matter how dark things seem or actually are there's always possibility, it's always there. And I guess that's, even prior to discovering that word last year, um, I've realised that that's how I've been running my life for a long time, since cancer and since other things that have happened in my life, is that there's no point in give up. There is no give up, there's always possibility. We just need to keep looking for it. And sometimes it's very hidden. And that's okay. It's how it's supposed to be. It's life. It's, it's, it's joy. It's struggle. It's, it's pain. It's peace. 
it's all of those things thrown in together that I've learned throughout my life. I'm 64 this year. That that those are the things that define us. No, not define us. That create who we are today. To be able to have this conversation with you, mm. all those moments throughout my life brought me to this moment of meeting you. Of all the things that happened since then, the joys, the laughter—you've got the best laugh. It's one of my favourite sounds. Is your laugh? Um, and you know, those are the things that I've discovered matter. So it sounds like you learnt a lot from the experience yourself personally, and you've also learned to reframe you know, adversity and challenges as a possibility, an opportunity for possibility. Is there any other nuggets of wisdom that you would love to leave our audience with today? So Peter Gooley's, you know, tips for a good life. Woodwork. Don't be afraid of being creative. Um, And don't look for... And this has been my challenge. You know, one of the greatest gifts I had in life was when somebody said to me, do you like everybody? And I said, well, you know, I can tolerate everybody, but do you love, like everybody? And I'm well, no, not really. And they said to me, well, you stop trying to make everybody like you. And that was one of the things in my life that taught me a massive lesson is that it's okay to be me. It's okay to be myself. It's okay to be fearful, to be strong, to be to to feel emotions, to to search for support outside of yourself, and not be afraid to put your hand up and say, "I need a, I need something. Someone needs to. Can someone talk to me at the moment?" And don't be afraid to talk and mm. talk your, your deepest darkest. Mm. It sounds to me that you've got to a point where you know, accepting and liking yourself just as you are is part of that uniqueness that you were talking about before and just allowing yourself to embrace that and just be you. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a struggle, still is, always will be a struggle for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle to still feel, you know, I've, 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 I've lost a testicle. Am I still a man? Um, I know men who have lost both. Do they still feel like they were a man? It's one of the questions that comes up for us around those times. Mm. Same thing happens for ladies when they lose a breast mm. or both. Mm. They question their womanhood, their, their mm. very essence of who they are. Mm. Well, no longer do I see that I'm defined by those things. Mm. I'm not defined by those. I'm defined by... Uh, it's interesting to say that. I'm defined by those moments that I am gifted to be able to contribute to others because that's in my my DNA. My father was, you know, uh, kicked in the head by a horse when he was about 12 or 13 and was the first person on the planet to have a piece of bone from his hip replaced to replace the skull bone. and he spent time in Lismore when he was back in Lismore visiting people who didn't have visitors because he spent so much time in Sydney because they lived in Corakai mm. without visitors. He mm. knew what it was like. So he used to go and do that just because he could and because he cared. And so it's in my DNA. Mm. 
It is clearly in your DNA. And if people want to connect with you, Peter, or know more, where yep. can we direct them? Yep, sure. Uh, you can send them to my email address, uh, Alzheimer's Communication at gmail gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Joyce, you're going to put that in the in the comments yes. or whatever. Um, that's great. Yeah, more than welcome to have a chat. And you know, if you want to talk about dementia as well, that's my passion these days. Yeah. And um, I think that, the, and it's my life, all the things that have happened in life that have led me to that moment where I walked into a, a nursing home and just for a job I'd never been available, able to do never trained, never met anybody with dementia, walked into that nursing home, never been in one in my life, and felt, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And so that's what I'm doing with the rest of my life, however long it is. Thank you so much, Peter. What an inspiration and true light you are in the world. You've shown us that no matter what our circumstances, you really can rise and shine again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for the opportunity to... um, to just connect again. You're always one of my favourite people to talk to. <laughs> now, if Peter Gooley can do it, so can you. If you like this podcast, share your comments and tell us what you loved about the interview and how it was helpful to you. Help spread the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they can rise and shine too. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on. You can't